Good morning, church. Please turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 19. As we continue our study through this gospel, Matthew 19, picking up where we left off in December, our attention is going to be devoted today to verses 13 through 15. Uh, Many of us have been at Covenant of Grace for some time now. This is our church home, and we're happy here. But believe it or not, for visitors, for some who check us out, there are some things about our church that take some getting used to. Some of them are trivial, like Bert's jokes. You guys are a little more sympathetic than first service, I felt like. Some of them are trivial, but some of them are not. Some of them are things very important to us. Someone can look us up online. They may check out our website. They may look over our statement of faith. They may listen to a couple of sermons. Everything seems to check out. Everything looks good and in order until they attend on a Sunday morning. And then something strikes them that they didn't expect. Long sermons. Back to Bert's jokes. (laughs) Something strikes them that they didn't expect. I hear many different things. I hear many different things from people about what sticks out to them about our church. But one of the things I hear the most, probably the thing I hear the most, that most surprised the first visitors and guests is... Whoa, there are a lot of kids here. Whoa, there are a lot of children in this church. And it's usually at that point that I give the secret signal to my kids to all come up, and all six of them, to line up in order to meet these new guests, impress with how many kids, and then, oh yes, here's my, here's my wife pregnant with number seven. So yes, there are a lot of kids in this church, and we thank God for that. We thank... We thank... We thank God for that, right? (laughs) We thank God for that. And today's message is going to be something of an orientation to a doctrinal assumption we hold about the relationship between children and this congregation. In the passage we're looking at today, little children are being brought to Jesus for a blessing. Parents wanted their kids to be blessed by Jesus. And Matthew likely placed this seen as a sequel, a fitting sequel, to uh, Jesus' teaching on marriage in Matthew 19, verses 1 through 12, just to remind you of where we were back in November and December. So here, in the beginning of Matthew, first half of Matthew 19, that is, we have the mind of Christ declared to us on two very important relationships. First, the relationship of a husband and wife. First, the relationship of a husband and wife, which we looked at. And now, also, the relationship of children and Christ. But really, even more to the point, even more to the point in this passage, the relationship between children and the church. The relationship between children and Jesus' disciples. If you're taking notes, the title of the sermon is, Let the Little Children Come. Let the Little Children Come, 
I invite you to follow along as I read our passage, Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. This is what Holy Scripture says. Then children were brought to him, that's Jesus, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. This is the word of God to us. I invite you to please join me in prayer now. Our Father and gracious God, uh, I pray that your Spirit would come and be with us here now. I pray that our hearts would be open before you as our Bibles are open on our laps. God, we invite you, work in us, teach us, instruct us, and we ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. The incident in our passage happens to be one of those recorded in all three synoptic Gospels. So it's in our passage here, Matthew 19. It's also in Mark 10, verses 13 through 15. Mark 10, 13 through 15. And Luke 18, 15 through 17. It's a very famous incident. Young children were brought to Jesus so that he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. Uh, That's what they were being brought for. Parents and guardians are bringing little kids in so Jesus could lay his hands on them, Matthew says. And Mark elaborates for us that Jesus would take them in his arms... He would put his hands on them, and he would bless them. So, you can imagine, it's something like a scene of Santa at the mall. It's kind of like one of the scenes of Santa at the mall, right? All the parents are bringing their children to Jesus, and Luke tells us even their infants they're bringing to him, because they want Jesus to bless them. They want him to, to, to take them into his lap, to lay his hand upon them, and to speak a blessing over them. And so, you know, this is one of those idyllic scenes. It's, it's beautiful. It's perfect day. You know, like you imagine Jesus on you know, a mountainside with the grass. And, you know, you've seen the paintings, right? And all the kids are coming to him and he's all happy. And so, so it's one of those scenes. It's something like that. No one, is, no one demonized is present to disrupt the gathering by shrieking or crying out. There are no Pharisees in sight. So no one's anticipating a confrontation or a conflict. But, alas, the disciples are there. It seemed like a nice day. It seemed like the perfect setting. It seemed like Jesus wanted to bless the kids. But alas, those disciples. On this happy day, there would in fact be an interruption and interference. In all three accounts, the disciples were busy being grown-ups, and they rebuked those who brought the children Hey, 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 what are you doing? Stop right there. Rabbi is a busy man. Rabbi is an important man. He cannot be bothered by your children. And all three accounts were told the disciples rebuked those who were bringing their children to Jesus. And in all three accounts were told Jesus rebuked the disciples. Jesus rebuked them saying, let the little children come. And then to emphasize, he says, and do not Hinder them. Let them come, and don't you dare get in their way. And in Mark, his account, he adds that Jesus was, in fact, indignant. 
In fact, he was greatly displeased with the disciples. And we should take note of this. You know, that's strong language. It should stick out to us. When we read through the Gospels and we read about Jesus being you know, greatly displeased, we probably think about him cleansing the temple, you know, turning his, the house of the Lord into a, a den of thieves. Or we may think about him confronting the Pharisees in their hypocrisy. But here we read, or in Mark's account, that Jesus saw the attitude of his disciples towards children towards parents wanting to bring their children near to Jesus, and he was indignant. He was aroused to anger. He was irate. If you want to get that kind of reaction from Jesus, you don't have to be a Pharisee, and you don't have to set up you know, thieving booths inside the Lord's house. You just have to get between Jesus and children. You just got to get between Jesus and children. So the point is, in all three synoptics, this is not an insignificant issue. This is not just a minor thing. Jesus doesn't just pass over this lightly. He's like, hey, hey, guys, chill out. You know I like kids. Let them come. Come on, bring them out. You know, no, Jesus comes with strong language emphasizing, you will not keep children from me. And not to miss the point, not to miss the point in all this, here's the point, in all three accounts, Jesus is requiring us his disciples, us, to allow children to be brought to him. So, this brings us to point number one, point one of two today. Let the little children come. Jesus requires us to allow little children to be brought to him. And this is a, this is a topic that we could you know, springboard off into a number of things. We could talk about uh, sharing the gospel with children. We could talk about family worship and bringing them to Jesus in that way. But the way we want to look at it today is in consideration of children in the worship service. Children, what does the Bible say about keeping kids in the service with us here or sending them down to children's ministry or offering you know, children's church? This may seem like a, a mundane topic to you. It may seem like it's kind of an ordinary Monday. But this is actually something we have to deal with every single week. This is something we are dealing with every week. Some of you are making the decision every week what to do with your kids. Some of you are having to be around the parents making those decisions and the kids they have in here. Some of you grew up in this church and you have no idea why you were always up here. You've just never thought about it. Like, that's how church, that's how they do church. That's how we do church. Well, visit a lot of churches. That's not how a lot of churches do church. So why do we do this? This may seem like a mundane topic. It's actually, you know, every week topic. And given Jesus' instructions in our passage, maybe it's not as mundane as you might think. So what light, if any, does the Bible shed on this subject? Well, I'd like to consider the teachings of Scripture on this subject under kind of three headings or three, three principles that you, uh, you know, I will set before you. The first is, the first thing to know is God's covenant people, say Scripture, you're going to see God's covenant people generally included their children in corporate worship. They generally included children in corporate worship. This is true in both the Old and the New Testament. Incidentally, it's also true throughout church history until about the last hundred years or so. You know, but history aside, just the Bible. 
First in the Old Testament, we're just going to march through a bunch of passages here. When the, when the people gathered to renew their covenant with God before crossing the Jordan River, Moses declared to the people, Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones. Get, hey, make sure you bring the little ones and the sojourner within your towns that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. And be careful to do all the words of this law. And that their children, who have not known it, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. This is not an odd occurrence. The same was true after the people conquered Ai on the other side of the Jordan. They gathered to worship God and were told there was not a word of all of Moses... Not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before the all the assembly. Of people, I think my sermons are long. Um, you know, let's just read you know, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You know, all the assembly of Israel to hear all the words of Moses and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. If you go look at the law of God, there they were given specific commands that when the people gathered for worship, they should do so as households. You gather for worship, do so as households. This precedent continued whenever the people gathered. For example, when King Jehoshaphat prayed on behalf of the people at the temple, we read, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their little ones, their wives and their children. So the kids were there, but also so were the little kids. The kids are present, so are the little kids. When Joel called the people to a solemn assembly of repentance, he commanded, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Even nursing infants. Likewise, after the people returned from exile and rebuilt Jerusalem, including the temple, Nehemiah tells us, they offered great sacrifice that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy, the women and children also rejoiced. And in the Psalms we read, God's desire is to be praised, not in groups divided by age demographics, but in a multi-generational context. He says, young men and maidens together, old men and children. God delights to hear kids sing to him. Moving to the New Testament, what was Jesus' attitude towards kids? We've just looked at it. Let the little children come. And when you read through the Gospels, you find they're often with them in the crowds. Who is the promise of salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit given to? Peter said to them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And finally, when Paul wrote his letters to the churches in Ephesus and Colossae, letters he intended to be read aloud in a church gathering, just like this one, he clearly envisioned children present in the service because he wrote not just about kids, but to kids when he said, Children, obey your parents in in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So the first thing to know is that God's covenant people generally included their children in corporate worship. The second thing to know, a second heading or principle, is that God's covenant people were not 
universally required to include children in corporate worship. So generally included, but not universally required to, right? It's not, it's not the law that they always had to be there every time. So we see some instances. Nehemiah 8, 1 through 3. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses. And the law had, and the Lord, that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women, and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So here we have something of a different flavor, one we saw earlier. It's the men and it's the women, and apparently it's the older children. It's those who could understand. Those who could understand. And, you know, that makes you think. If the men, women, and the older children are all there, where are the little kids? Right? They're in nursery. Someone, you know, everyone's there except all of you who are on nursery duty this week. Yeah, sorry, giant assembly, everyone's got to be there. You get all the little ones. Also, we read in Exodus 23, 17, that the pilgrim feast of Israel, the pilgrim festivals, held in Jerusalem three times a year, required only the attendance of the adult males. Only the adult men had to go. So, the principle... Any could come. All were welcome, but only the men had to go. So the principle we noted, we note, was God's covenant people generally included their children in corporate worship, but they didn't. They weren't universally required to include their children in all corporate worship. Generally, they did, but not always. And then the third and final principle is that parents, or in scripture, parents are primarily responsible for the religious instruction of their children. Parents are primarily so. Not the pastors, and not the, not the children's ministry workers, and not Sunday school, and not Awana. Parents. Parents. Parents themselves are under the pastoral instruction of the church, of the elders, but with regard to their own children, parents are their kids' primary disciplers. We see this in passages like Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Also, Ephesians 6, verse 4, a passage we're going to look at more next week. So those are the principles that we kind of wrestle with when we think about what we are going to do with kids in this church. And I think they all come into application here. You will have noticed that by and large, we keep all the kids together with us through the first half of the service. Maybe a kid needs to be taken out for an attitude adjustment for a few minutes, Maybe, you know, maybe there's a little one that needs to be taken downstairs to get all those, you know, hallelujahs out of their system, which those little kids, they get, which we love because we're charismatic. But by and large, we keep the kids together with us through the singing and the praying. And then, you know, then when the sermon comes, uh, we give you parents a decision. As primary disciples of your kids, you can either keep them up here uh, for the preaching of God's word, or you can send them downstairs 
for, you know, more age-appropriate uh, teaching of the Word of God. It's still the teaching of the Word of God. And downstairs, we are ambitious to not only teach through the Bible, we teach, you know, we teach through the Bible in three years downstairs with our kids, and we every week it's a connection to the gospel. So it's not just how to live, it's who to believe in. That's what we're trying to get back to. Who, and, and it's all about Jesus, right? So either way, your ch- the point is, they're up here for the first half, and then they either stay up here or they go downstairs. And the point is, your children are welcome here. Your children are what? Fidgets and all. Okay? Your children are welcome, and their fidgets are welcome. Okay? And on the occasion, when you need to deal with, with you know, what we'll call some, some moral disorder breaking out in your pew, and I'm, you know, I'm talking about kids, not... You know, not parents with kids, not moms or not wives with husbands, right? It's like moral disorder with the kids. I'm talking about when you when that happens and you got to deal with it, you feel free to escort your kid to the back with them screaming all the way if you need to, right? Yeah. Door closes and it's that until we hear them going downstairs. You feel, you go ahead and do that because that's the kind of thing we take with stride here. We take that with stride mostly because we've all been in your shoes. Most of us have been in your shoes. Either way, the point is, your children are welcome here. The most important part of a local church's life is its corporate worship. It is here that we worship God in His appointed way the assembly of his people at his appointed time on the Lord's day by his appointed means through word, song, sacrament, and prayer. This is the worship God directs us to give and by it, this is the amazing grace of God, by it, this is the worship he directs us to give and it's also the way that he directs grace into our lives. I mean, think about that. The means through which God meets with us He says, worship me in these ways. Worship me in these ways. They are the same ways, he says, and they will be the means by which I will minister to you. Worship me in these ways. These are the means. Worship me in these means, and they are the means, the same means I will minister to you through word, song, sacrament, and prayer. Churches and parents, listen, they can chase after the next thing to try and impact their children. You know, we, we all hear about churches that got like slides for their kids to go down. You know, well, that sounds fun. And, you know, if, if, if one of you have a slide, you want to come and install for, you know, like, we'll think about it. But, but, but that's not it. That's not it, right? Okay, because nothing holds the promise of that which God himself has clearly ordained. These ordinary means of grace are actually effectual means of grace, and they are effectual for our children. In his book, in his book, uh, I want to recommend Let the Children Worship, this very colorful rainbow book, Let the Children Worship by Jason Halophilus. In it, he writes, When our children attend corporate worship, they dwell in the midst of effectual means of grace. And the more we place them in the way of the means of grace, the better the opportunity for their souls to encounter the God of all grace. We recognize the benefit of steering our children clear of harmful things, disobedient friends, busy streets, uncovered electrical outlets, and R-rated movies. Why wouldn't we especially desire to steer our children toward beneficial things? 
the read and preached word, corporate prayer, and the sacraments. Steering them away from the means of death is good. (laughs) Stating the obvious, right? Steering them away from the means of death is good. Steering them towards the means of life is even better. We want to steer our kids towards as much life-giving grace as we can, and this is why we include them in the worship here. This is why we include them in the worship here, but this is admittedly challenging. This is admittedly hard work, and can be hard work for us all. Right? Not just the kids going down, not just the, not just the parents keeping them up here, whatever it is, but it can be hard work for us all. So how do we keep dozens of little kids in our service every week and not ruin worship for everybody? How do we do that? Well, first, first, it begins with faith. These are some, these are, these are not tips and tricks. Uh, This, this is the, this is where it begins for everybody. It begins with faith. Romans 14.23 says, whatever does not proceed from faith, is sin. If you do anything without faith, you are sinning. So you have to begin from a place, parents, you have to begin from a place of really believing you are doing good and right by including your children in worship. And the rest of the church who are not doing that, but who are, you know, past that stage or not in that season of life, whatever it is, you have, you know, you could be tempted to be annoyed by all the kids. You could be attempted to be, so you have to, in faith, believe that it is a good and right thing to include children in the service. You see, it's all by faith. The whole church has to be in on this. By faith. Because some, some weeks, you know, for you parents, some weeks feel like a triathlon, don't they? So, like, get home and you're like, I don't even know who preached. I don't even know who's up there. Like, it was a marathon. And those weeks where you feel like that, Guess what the person sitting behind you at church felt like? This week was a marathon. I don't even know who preached. This week was a marathon. Right? So these weeks, they test, your, they test the faith of parents, and they test the faith of, of the church to see if it is genuine. Are you doing, why are we doing this? Are we doing this just to fit in? Or are we doing this by faith? Are we doing this just to fit in? Because that's what we do here. Or are we doing this by faith? Second, second, how do we not ruin this for everybody? Well, second, uh, we have to, many of us have to practice church when our children are young. We have to practice church at home when our children are young. Sometimes this is through family worship during the week. Sometimes it's getting them to practice sitting still, learning what it means to be quiet, learning how to sing together. You know, parents, just remember, children, little children, are relatively new to this planet. You know, like they, they've arrived not that long ago. And everything is new and strange to them. It's all new and strange. Even if they grow up in this church, it doesn't mean they understand church. So, so we can't expect them to understand if we don't teach them first. So my encouragement is, practice church. Through the week, make it fun. You know, that's and that's the key. You know, it's not like sit down. This is church. You know, but this is like, hey, all, let's play a game. Let's pretend we're at church. Mom's gonna lead us in singing. You know, la 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 la. 
out. So mom gets up there and she's, you know, let's all sing a song. Jesus loves me. And so we all sing that. And then dad gets up to be the preacher, right? Okay. How are you going to, okay. Behave while dad's going to read this passage and make it fun. You know, pretend to be me. You know, so you like, I'm going to read this passage. You ready? You're like, ah, you know, like, who am I? Ah, and all the kids will laugh and, the, you know, like Pastor Jace. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Okay. All right. Now, even when Pastor Jace is like that, we got to sit still. We got to listen, you know, take that. So make it fun. Have fun with the kids. That's the key. So that they learn. So that they learn. Practice church. Third, be excited about going to church. Be excited about going. Live from Lord's Day to Lord's Day. And make going to church the highlight of your week. Consider this. This is, this is for everybody here, right? This is not just for, for parents. Consider this. Do you think of Sunday as climax or collapse? Do you think of Sunday as climax or collapse? I think for a lot of us it's collapse. Friday, Friday night, Weekend's here, climax. Saturday, yeah, getting things done, having fun, be with the family, climax. Sunday, whew, man, I'm tired from this weekend. And Monday's just around the corner. Sunday's collapse. When it should be climax. We should be building up to this. But this is the Lord's day. This is the day that he has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Right? All right, look, go at it a different way. Is it wrong to watch football on Sunday? You know, all God's people said, no, no, praise the Lord, there's freedom. Enjoy your football. In and of itself, not bad, right? But, but, what about making it the focal point of the Lord's day? What about making it the climax of the Lord's day? Right? Are we modeling for our kids excitement for church? Which, you know, in genuine, like in integrity, what about you? Is church what you get to go to, or is it what you got to go to? Right? Cultivate a spirit of joy and thankfulness on Sunday morning. If this is the highlight of the week, theologically, it is. This is the Lord's Day. If this is the climax, then act like it. Live out your faith. Talk about it with your kids. Get excited. Pray for it. Think about what to expect. Turn on Christian music. Turn it up real loud. And let there be singing and dancing in this home. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And all God's people said, praise the Lord. You know, dads, go do that next week. Yo, praise the Lord. What's dad yelling about? I don't know. He's trying to get us excited about church. He's weird. Praise the Lord. Like, that would be a great testimony. Let your kids see you are excited about going to church. Fourth, fourth, use lots of helps. All right? Use lots of helps. Uh, Let me just cruise through this one, which is basically, like, as an example for, you know, for our kids, through the singing and through the prayer, we want them to participate in the singing and sit quietly through the prayer, learning how to join with us in prayer. During announcements, we let them have a little break. They can get out their coloring books. They can look at a Christian book that we might bring along. Um, snacks are your friend. Use snacks. You know, they are a means of grace to you. But so too is taking your kid out and instructing and disciplining them if it needs to be. Those are all helps. Use them. Fifth and finally, review the service. How do we not ruin the service for everyone? Review the service every week with your kids. You know, review it in the sense of 
what song did you like that we sang this week? What was something that Mr. Pastor Turner preached or um, uh, prayed for this week? Uh, what did you hear in the sermon? Uh, what did you hear down in your Sunday school lesson? Uh, you know, review it with them. Uh, parents, we provide a worksheet back in the back for little kids to fill out on sermon notes if they're up here, or if you're going downstairs uh, next uh, in the next few weeks, we're going to start sending out a resource every week to you parents that have kids downstairs uh, that gives you an overview of the lesson, like in a sentence or two, uh, the text, three questions to ask to draw the the, the lesson, the connection to Jesus, the scripture memory verse, if you want to work on that. It's just a resource for you. The point is, review the service. Review the whole service with them, and a Firm everything you can in your kid. When you did that, you were great. When you sat still, that was awesome. When you walked instead of running downstairs, wonderful job. Affirm your kids. And grandparents, you can get in on all of this. You can get in on all of this. Jesus' attitude towards children is let them come. Let the little children come. And we have tried as much as we are able to have the same attitude here. Now, one more thing I should say about this before I move on to the next point. What about the sacraments then? All right, so what about baptism and the, and the Lord's Supper? Do we still let the little children come? All right, so parents are the primary discipler of their children, right? But the keys of the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom are held by the elders of the church and not by the fathers. Okay, so... This is a distinct and separate institution that God has set up. God has ordained, you know, the institution of civil government, right? You know this, the civil government and family government and church government, right? Civil, family, and church. And it is the responsibility of the elders to guard the purity of the word and the integrity of the sacraments. So parents, listen, you're to uphold the word and the sacraments, but they're not entrusted primarily to you. And this is why we discourage you from going and baptizing your kids in the bathtub. You know, little Johnny came home from church today and said, I believe in Jesus. And dad says, let's go get in the bathtub and get you baptized. Like, no, we discourage that. Uh, we also, you know, don't think it would be great for you to be giving out, you know, crackers and grape juice while watching the live stream. Uh, because that is not the way they are to be administered. If your child is baptized and we are, you know, we, we want to get behind baptizing you know, not infants, but we want to get behind baptizing, confessing, believing children. Uh, if they are baptized, they are welcome to join us at the table. But they do need to be baptized first. And if you want to study that out more, uh, we have a resource in the back hanging on the wall, an article we've written called uh, Your Child in the Sacraments. I commend that to you. We'd be happy to talk to you about it. But sufficient to say, your believing child is welcome to join us at the table. We want them here. But the way to the dining room table is through the front door, which is baptism. We're a credo Baptist here, right? Believer's baptism. We're a credo Baptist here. But some of you, we've noticed, have tried to be pedo communionist right? We're a credo Baptist, but some of you want to be pedo communionist You've got kids taking communion, but they're not baptized yet. It should be baptism, then communion. Baptism, and then the Lord's Supper. Your children are welcome here because to such belong the kingdom of heaven. Your kids are welcome here because we want them to love Jesus. We want them to understand the gospel. We want them to come to Christ. And we want to help them be steered toward all the benefiting means of grace that flow through our gathering. And children... Children in this room, children that are here, 
talking to you for a minute, like Paul did and through his you know, children, we want you to feel like this is your church. We want you to look around and say, these are my people, and this is my church. But we also want you to understand this, kids. We also want you to understand, without, without true faith in Jesus Christ, all of this is useless. All of this, without true faith in Jesus Christ, the preaching of God's word, the singing, the sacraments, the prayer, all of it is useless. The prophet says in Isaiah 1 that the Lord cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. He can't abide one who says they believe in Jesus but continue to live in sin and then try to come here and worship him. That's not God's will and God's way. God wants you to truly worship him. And to truly worship him, we worship him through Jesus Christ. We worship him through faith in the Savior. If you really want to be a Christian, if you really, and if you really want to understand what that means, it doesn't mean that you come and do all of this. Doesn't, being a Christian does not mean you do. Christians do do this, but that's not what it means to be a Christian. If you want to know what it means to be, if you want to know what it means to become a Christian, to enter into the kingdom, you don't have to become more like an adult. Kids, you don't have to become more like an adult to enter into the kingdom. Rather, it's actually the other way around. Adults need to become more like children. Adults need to become more like children. Children have to become more like adults. Adults need to become more like children, which is what the disciples in this passage get all mixed up. And this is where I want us to land in the last few minutes. Point number two, let the needy children come. Some of you are saying, okay, like there is some application in all this for us as a church, and maybe for some who are our parents, I'm not afraid. You're like, is there anything more for us in this passage? Oh, yes, there is. Verse 14, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. This is a verse, this verse is one that is easily and commonly misunderstood. It is not saying that Jesus or that children naturally belong to the kingdom of heaven. It's not just saying, well, you know, kids are an automatic in. That's not what this passage is talking about, because we know other passages teach that all of us are by nature children of wrath because of our sin, Ephesians chapter 2. So what does this mean? What does it mean that two, ch- you know, two kids belong to the kingdom of heaven? Well, here we need to remember what Jesus just taught a few verses, a few verses earlier in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, in fact, we're close enough in your Bible, you can just turn page back and look at it. Matthew chapter 18 Verses 2 through 4. And calling to him a child, Jesus called to himself a child, he put him in the midst of them, the disciples, and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' kingdom, children serve as a metaphor for the humility needed to enter in. Children serve as a metaphor, like marriage points to Jesus and the church, children point to the means of salvation. They are a metaphor for the humility needed to enter in. Children are inherently weak. Children are naturally helpless. 
desperate and dependent. It is their neediness that Jesus is highlighting here. To such belong, to those who are needy and realize it, to such belong the kingdom of heaven. Scholar James Edwards serves us when he writes, To receive the kingdom of God as a child is to receive it as one who has no credits, no clout, no claims. A little child has absolutely nothing to bring. And whatever a child receives, he or she receives by grace on the basis of sheer neediness, rather than by any merit inherent in him or herself. Little children are paradigmatic disciples, for only empty hands can be filled. Jesus uses children and their status to indicate the kind of people that enter into his kingdom. And by this, he calls us to recognize that we are in fact needy, helpless, and completely dependent in this case on God alone. Listen, when we see some kid in a pew starting to melt that, right? We've all seen this. We're watching the kid down in front of us. We're watching it and we're seeing it. They're starting to melt down, right? It starts with that like, yeah, you're seeing the scream come and it's like the parents panic. I got to do something. When you see that and you brace yourself for that, the thought that should be going through your head is that's me. That's me. Needy. Desperate, dependent. Coming to Jesus requires recognizing your need, that it is like a child, and receiving from God what you cannot earn and do not deserve. To such belong the kingdom of heaven. Listen, you enter salvation not by achieving it, but by receiving it. Not by achieving it, but by receiving it. And this is humbling. You know, this is this is humbling because our proud impulse in all of life, in every sphere of life, in every endeavor in life, is to achieve. It's to earn something. It's to contribute something. Because in some form, we ultimately want to deserve something. But not Jesus' kingdom. His kingdom must be received, for it can never be earned or deserved. Every attempt to earn, contribute, or deserve must be abandoned to enter into the kingdom. Of, what is our hymn? What is that? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. To thy fountain, Lord, I fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Jesus' kingdom must be received. It can never be deserved. We are powerless to save ourselves. Listen, children had no status in that society. They had no credits, no clout, no claims as we saw. So if they were to receive anything, it could not be on the basis of rights. It was only gift. It was only grace. And just as children bring nothing and need everything, we come to God bringing nothing and needing everything. All we bring, listen, I've said this before, but what do we bring to the equation? What do we bring to the table? All we bring is our sin and our guilt. That's all we bring to the table. Our mess and our desperate help that we need from God. The desperate need we need for forgiveness. 
We must receive the kingdom as an unmerited gift from God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And if we don't receive the kingdom that way, like a child, then it will never belong to us. Then it will never belong to us. Michael Horton reminds us of this when he writes, The gospel is not what we have done or are called to do, but is the announcement of God's saving work in Jesus Christ. So, first and foremost, we are recipients before God. We are rec- He is the benefactor, and we are the beneficiaries. We cannot give him anything he needs, but we receive everything from his hand. Before God, we are always receivers of his gifts. Brothers and sisters, that is so good. Before God, we are always and only receivers of His gifts. So let me ask you this morning, is this how you understand your conversion? Is this how you understand... Let's start right there. Is this how you understand your salvation that is all a gift from God? It's not about you being religious enough. It's not about you being good enough. It's not about you having done the right things or gone to church or any of that. None of that matters. What did the the thief on the cross have? Nothing but his need. Do you understand your conversion purely as God's sovereign grace, his gift to you? And then, and then, Is this how you understand your relationship with God today? Every day. You understand this is how you got into the kingdom, and you also understand this is how you live in the kingdom. This receiving like a child isn't just what takes place at conversion, it takes place throughout the Christian life. Let me go even further. It takes place throughout eternity future. The Christian life not only commences by receiving... It continues by receiving. For to such belong the kingdom of heaven. You don't ever outgrow receiving. You don't ever mature beyond receiving. So in conclusion, just think about how how does your day begin? How does your day begin? Do you open your Bible? Do you, do you quiet your heart in prayer trying to... To be good. Trying to earn something from God. Trying to deserve something. Or do you open your Bible and do you open your heart approaching God like a needy and dependent child? God, I just need you. I'm eager to receive. Do you view yourself As a child, each day, needy, dependent, eager to receive? Or do you view your relationship with God primarily as one of serving, working, and obeying? Now don't misunderstand, those are all part of the Christian life. It's filled with serving, working, and obeying. But they are the fruit and effect of receiving grace. They are the fruit and effect of the grace that preceded them. Which supplied, that grace supplied... It enables you to serve, work, and obey 
joyfully as worship. And so returning to the scene in our passage here, returning to this this topic of children, I hope you're seeing the significance of the relationship between children and the church. We give them grace because we have been given grace. We graciously include them in this worship service because we have graciously been included in the kingdom of God. Kids don't have to grow up and earn a status to be in our midst, just like we don't have to grow up and earn some kind of status before God. In fact, we need children in our midst. They're paradigmatic disciples. They actually have something to teach us. We should look at them and say, I'm just like them. Empty hands needing to be filled. Empty hands needing to receive. That is life in the kingdom. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you are a good, good father. That, Lord, you love to give good gifts, and the greatest of those is the gift of your Son. And if you have given us Jesus, how will you not also with him graciously give us all things? So I pray for all of us here today. I pray that we will acknowledge our neediness before you, that we are like children. I pray that we will receive, like a child, the gracious gift of your forgiveness of sins through the death of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help those who have not to repent and believe in the gospel. I pray for all of us that we would receive more of your grace. For to such belong your kingdom. I pray this for all of those in this room and listening through the live stream. And I pray this as well for all those downstairs in children's ministry right now. God, we need you. Every hour, we need you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.